Welcome to the Hindus Parley podcast, a discussion of topical issues from our opinion pages relating to current developments in the news world. My name is Narayan Lakshman and I'm a senior associate editor at The Hindu. For today's episode, we'll be looking at whether the British monarchy and monarchies in general are relevant in the 21st century. Joining me for the podcast today are Professor Priyamada Gopal, a fellow of Churchill College, Cambridge University, and author of Insurgent Empire, Anti-Colonial Resistance and British Descent. We also have with us Professor Philip Murphy, who is the Director of History and Policy at the Institute of Historical Research and Professor of British and Commonwealth History, as well as Joint Editor of the Journal of Imperial and Commonwealth History. The UK monarchy is unique because it has a local and global relevance. The Queen is the head of the state in the UK and head of the Commonwealth. Do you think this means that some immutable elements of UK monarchy will survive the major societal, political and cultural changes of the 21st century? And if so, what are they? I mean, nothing, nothing's immutable. I mean, the fact is that, that European monarchies in general are quite difficult to dislodge, short of war and revolution and, and regime change. Um, I mean, you look at relatively recent cases, Greece is in 1974, it was the fall of the colonels, um, Italy, 46, it was a defeat in, in war. Um, it takes a lot to, to get rid of them. I think what, what we're going to see in the, in the near future is that most of the, the non-UK realms will become republics. And, and one saw movement towards that even before the Queen died. I mean, people used to ask, well, what, what happens when the Queen dies in the Caribbean, say? And in the end, it wasn't the Queen dying, it was George Floyd dying. Um, it, was a, it was a combination of things, including the Black Lives Matter movement, the rise of the reparations movement, and, and Barbados, um, who could do it relatively easily because they didn't need a referendum, actually making the change in November 2021. And that's, that started a bit of a, you know, a, a, a race amongst the, the, the remaining Caribbean realms, who were mostly now coming out and saying that they intend to become republics. So, I mean, if you look at the situation in the UK, and particularly in England, there's only a, a fairly small minority, I saw the 22% in the, in the last poll, uh, who said that they would vote to become a republic if there was a referendum tomorrow. So I, I don't think you're going to see change in, in the United Kingdom, but, you know, in, in Scotland and particularly in Northern Ireland now, there were growing, you know, Republican, uh, uh, not not quite majorities, but you know, it, it, they, 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 in in Northern Ireland, forty six percent of the population now say that they would uh, favour a republic, and of course that reflects the sort of sectarian nature of Northern Irish politics. But you know, there is a there is a movement there, so you're not just seeing a fracturing of the realms, but potentially a fracturing of the United Kingdom as well. Uh, and that's the other thing to watch. No, I agree. Um, I think with with most of that, and I, do, I don't think there's any uh, clear sense that a republic might emerge um, in the near future. And of course, uh, Brexit and its consequences and the, the possible 
possible breaking apart of the United Kingdom as we know it will have consequences. But I was struck, despite the um, the figures that that Philip mentions about, you know, only a relatively small percentage in favor of a, of a republic, is the demographics of who was interested in the coronation. And that struck me as quite important because demographic change uh, may have serious consequences for the monarchy. Um, About 70 plus percentage of people under 50 said they were either hostile to or indifferent to the coronation. And there was really only a very small percentage of 9% of the population that that said that they were completely invested in uh, celebrating the occasion. I think we have to keep in mind demographic change. I think we also have to perhaps in addition to the, you know, the, the current realms becoming republics, um, pay attention to push back against inequality in Britain. It isn't currently happening, but inequality is growing. There is increasing deprivation. And I don't think that that is going down too well in terms of the monarchy's ostentation and the monarchy's cost, um, as well as you know what it represents, which is uh, the privilege of a, of a very small number of people uh, living very we- very well, as wider and wider um, numbers of people are are falling to deprivation. So I think I think we'd want to keep a watch on what currents, what pushback there is against increasing uh, inequality in Britain. I've, I'm someone who's never seen the monarchy as an anachronism. I mean, it, it obviously in terms of style, it is. And in terms of you know you know wearing uh, 18th century garb and where you know wearing velvet robes and floating around might seem a little bit stylistically old, but actually the monarchy sits at the top of of the uh, you know the, the plutocracy, the the rich people who lo- who rule Britain and who who call the shots. Um, and in that sense, they are no more or no less anachronistic than any other place where there is tremendous inequality. You can be a republic and have tremendous uh, inequality and having, you know, have a small number of rich people call the shots. I think of both the United States and India in, in this context. So I think we need to, to wait and see. It's not clear that a republic will emerge, but I think change may well be in the air, certainly in the kind of monarchy that we might have in about 20 years' time. Could I come in on that? Because I, I, I agree with that and maybe just, just add, add a couple of things. I think it does... I think monarchy does matter very much to the British establishment. And I think you saw that in, you know, across the board in sort of corporate London. Everyone was sort of told to be on their best behaviour. And the Metropolitan Police came down very heavily on peaceful protesters from the pressure group Republic. Um, and, you know, it matters because the, the monarchy is still the font of honours uh, the honour system still matters to the people who run this country. And and there's a kind of a growing gap between that elite and, and the mass of the population. And, and Priya is absolutely right about the demographic breakdown in, in reactions. But the thing that really struck me about polling ahead of the coronation was that even older people who you'd imagine to be very enthusiastic towards the royal family were, were relatively unenthusiastic about the coronation. And I, I sort of asked my mum about it. She said, well, they all look very stern. 
and I, and I think um, there was a sense that in '53 you had this sort of young monarch. It was all very kind of glamorous. I mean, it was a very different world and a very different uh, sort of imperial nexus that the monarchy was 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 head of. But now you were crowning a king well into his seventies, about twenty years older than his grandfather was when he died in 1952. Um, and, and you sort of sense a kind of a, a general lack of enthusiasm. And again, there was, a, there was a sense in the past, well, maybe we should skip a generation and go to those glamorous younger royals, William and Kate. Then they had a rather unsuccessful visit to the Caribbean last year. And and the glamour didn't really seem to wash in quite the same way that it, it did. So the the thing about the thing about monarchy, although it looks immutable, it's constantly having to kind of reinvent itself. And you know, after 70 years of a monarch on the throne, there isn't a kind of a modern playbook to 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 go, you know, to go back to. So what should what should we do? Um, because the nature of the media has changed so much, the nature of British society, the the, the Commonwealth has changed so much um, that they're going back to really sort of trial and error about how to 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 cope with the the change of monarch and and the expectations of the monarchy. A key challenge to the idea of monarchy itself is the notion that all human beings are created equal. Yet even in democratic capitalist societies, elites exist, and where they do, they are often required to justify their position. Are monarchies under fire mainly because their hereditary nature makes it harder to justify their continuance? Should I go, Philip? Yeah, yeah, have a go. Yeah, I think this is, you know, it's quite right that there are hierarchical societies, uh, capitalist, you know, formerly democratic, formerly republican societies where there are elites. Um, And in fact, you even have, you know, celebrities and elites who are quite monarchical figures uh, and and. there is nothing unique about Britain as an unequal monarchy. I think the hereditary nature does bother people because we have been told uh, capitalism's rhetoric is that it is meritocratic and that talent will rise to the top and that you uh, you get where you are because of hard work. And clearly that is not true uh, in the case of, of the monarchy. And I think that there is discomfort around the contradiction between uh, being formally democratic and capitalist and then, on the other hand, having people right at the very top because uh, because of bloodline. Um, and I think that that is, that is a point at which the monarchy uh, stumbles, not necessarily inequality in itself. I think it's a very interesting question, and I think it's a challenge for the Republican movement, really, to make a, a convincing argument about how it would transform British society. I mean, the, you know, it is the case that uh, there are monarchies in some European si- uh, countries like the Netherlands and Sweden, which are much more equal than uh, the, the UK that aren't stratified. And indeed, I suppose under Elizabeth II, in in those 70 years, the UK itself became a much less class-bound society. And it's sometimes difficult to to kind of impress on younger people today 
quite how rigid those class divisions were in 1962. And, and, and e- even though it's, we, we live in a very unequal society, it's an unequal in slightly different different ways. So I suppose the big question that the Republican movement have to answer is, would becoming a Republican itself change very much of that? And, and I think it's, it's, quite a hard, it's quite a hard question to answer, really. Um, I, I, I would I would say I would go so far as to say that there is actually no uh, program that a group like Republic that Republic has put forward that would actually address fundamental inequality. So, for instance, you know, would, would, would people who own large chunks of London stop owning large chunks of London? And they and, and they wouldn't. And, and you know, so the, the plutocratic nature of a republic, uh, you know, might might not change at all. So you 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 might or might not have an elected head of state, and you would still have uh, a, a tremendous inequality. So I think I've always found groups like Republic quite limited um, in their in their political vision of change because they envision nothing more than having uh, elections for a symbolic head of state, and 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 that's about it. And in fact, it's quite interesting that the Australian Indigenous li- leader Lydia Thorpe, yeah. who has called who who co-signed the letter to Charles asking him to make reparations acknowledge the gravity of of dispossession and enslavement she has said uh, to her credit that Australia needs to become a republic but that alone is not going to sort uh, uh, anything out uh, without other kinds of social and economic transformation yeah I, I, absolutely and i think that you know um the Republic of Ireland is a bit of a poster child for republicanism at, at the moment because, I mean, this last three presidents, Michael Higgins, Mary McAleese, Mary Robinson, have been outstanding figures and, and unifying figures um, and seem to represent Ireland far better than the House of Windsor represents the, the, the UK in terms of it, its sort of values and how it sees itself as a, as a modern state. But then, then the Republic has always been a you know a different sort of society from from England. Um, what, what it's there's an interesting contrast between what's happening in in the UK and what's happening in the other Commonwealth realms. Um, that that there, I suppose there's a, there's an easier answer to, as to, to why to become a Republic, in that it's always been a bit of an anomaly to have a, a head of state based in in London. And even, you know, I mean, the the trouble that they often got into was that either you you make the change as part of a a bigger constitutional reform, in which case there's a danger that you get bogged down in in broader questions about what the constitution will look like. And that's that's really what happened in Australia in in 1999, that, that voters on the whole, was sympathetic towards republicanism, but didn't like the form of republic that was an offer. Or, or you you do what Barbados did and really make the change in its simplest possible way, which was really to give all the powers of the president to the governor general. And in fact, the governor general became the president. But then the question is, well, why? What's the point of that? What what has what has really changed? And I think in the in the case of the Caribbean, the the rise of the reparations movement has been a game changer, because logically, it, it just seemed ludicrous that a Caribbean country should 
effectively be making a claim against the country where its own head of state still still resides. So that 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 makes sense of it, and I think that's why you're likely to see much much more rapid change in in the Caribbean, even given the sort of constitutional hurdles there are to it in most of the remaining Caribbean realms. To situate the debate in the current context of the economic upheavals caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdowns, and then the cost of living crisis in many countries linked to trade disruptions and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, does the continuance of monarchical power appear even more untenable in the light of the economic distress of the middle class? Well, my view is absolutely. I mean, I think that... that um the lack of enthusiasm that certainly I have seen um, around the coronation, the mutedness of um, even people who are otherwise likely to celebrate. Um, I mean, I, I, I read an interview with a, a woman uh, who is a royalist, who's a sort of working class royalist. And she said, you know, uh, she's not really in the mood to celebrate and that although she respects the royals, they had, quote, failed to read the room. Um, and I think that if Britain continues in the kind of disastrous economic direction it's heading in, which is, uh, you know, a growing impoverishment. I mean, I have gone so far as to suggest that there is a kind of return of colonialism in, in, in the immiseration of wider and wider uh, chunks of, of society. Um, I think what is going to be untenable is people um, at the top uh, of society becoming richer, as indeed, uh, you know, billionaires, the number of billionaires in Britain has increased since before the pandemic. Their share of wealth has increased. I think it's it stands at some staggering 653 billion now, the, you know, a handful of, of rich people in Britain. And, and the monarchy is, um, is not poor. Uh, you know, Charles himself is worth a couple of billion and the monarchy itself is worth 28 billion. Uh, of course, we don't actually, it's, it's, it's hard to assess what they have and don't have, partly because of the secrecy laws that, that Elizabeth II uh, was able to garner to protect uh, herself uh, and, and her family. Uh, but I think increasingly people are uh, certainly unenthusiastic about celebrating ostentation. I think that a lot of people are very disturbed at the 250 million that was spent on the coronation, which is exactly the amount that the government has just taken out of the social care budget. Um, so it's not just the middle class, but but you know middle class and below. Uh, as people become you know poorer and poorer, um, I think it becomes harder to celebrate uh, people at the top being uh, very wealthy and 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 garnering more and more uh, wealth and and power. I, I absolutely agree with that, and I think that it's always dangerous for the monarchy, um, as with other parts of the, if you like, the permanent British state. When, when British society seems particularly divided. I think you saw that in, in the 1980s under Mrs Thatcher when, you know, the, the Queen's press secretary got into, into trouble uh, for blurting out that the Queen was worried about Mrs Thatcher's policies because, you know, you then tend to find that um, uh, um, opinion towards the monarchy ten, tends to divide along those those lines. And I think that's why Brexit was a particularly dangerous moment for, for the monarchy, that it, it left um, 
Britain very, very divided. And we're now increasingly seeing the the economic consequences of that in, in, in terms of, you know, the impoverishment that, that's come on, on the back of that, which is, um, you know, it, it is exacerbating those, those divisions. Um, and the danger always was that, again, the, the younger part of the population who, on the whole, were more enthusiastic Europeans felt that their future had been betrayed we're going to kind of take out their anger on issues like like the monarchy. Um, and, well, we you know, opinion luckily now seems to be shifting a little bit. So maybe that, that crisis is starting to pass. But it, it's certainly been a very dangerous time for, for the British monarchy. And as Prius says, you've seen an increasing number of journalists doing the really kind of difficult investigative reporting work of trying to expose the sort of hidden wealth of the of the House of Windsor, and I think that's playing very well uh, amongst sort of younger younger voters. I I just want to add to that though, Philip. I mean, you're quite right about a, a small number of journalists doing this work, but I think we also have to acknowledge, and this has certainly shocked me in in recent days, the extent to which. The billionaire-owned media, which is the you know the large chunk of, of British media, uh, it's a situation that Indians will recognise uh, that the billionaire-owned media has been very ferocious in shoring up uh, defence of the monarchy and suppressing uh, criticism of the monarchy. So there is a gap, I think, between the young people and their their interest in, in the kind of investigative journalism and the vast majority of the billionaire-owned British media, which uh, clearly has a stake in, in uh, entrenching the monarchical system and entrenching inequality and does what it does to manufacture consent around the monarchy. I think that's that's true, but there's a kind of an interesting thing happening that the the kind of new populist right they they cling to monarchy as they cling to other parts of the British establishment as sort of shibboleths, but they don't always like the people involved or the institutions involved. So so the right wing press have you know gone gone you know for the judges when the judges um, weren't helpful over over Brexit. And one of the interesting stories that's appeared in the news over the last couple of days was that Charles was very critical of the government scheme to deport asylum seekers to Rwanda. Uh, and there was a bust up between uh, the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Charles over that. So they, they like the symbol of the monarchy. They don't always like the, the, the opinions of the people involved. Does a monarchy grind away at the moral foundations of a democracy? The 1975 Australian constitutional crisis is a case in point in a Commonwealth realm context. Could the monarch thus exceed their powers, which in the UK includes appointing and removing the prime minister and other ministers, dissolving or proroguing parliament and so forth? I mean, I, 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 I think that... One of the, the big problems that I would, would point to is that we don't know enough about how the monarchy works in relation to democracy. And that's because, uh, you know, because of excessive official secrecy over the release of papers. I mean, you, you can, um, you know, you can make a case for the need for members of the royal family to protect their privacy. 
Um, but there's a whole class of correspondence, of documentation about how the palace relates to the British government on constitutional matters, like proroguing parliament. And we don't know enough about how that has worked under Queen Elizabeth II because of excessive official secrecy. And that's something I've been pushing at. And in, in a way, the, the case of Gough Whitlam in Australia in 1975, where the Governor General, John Kerr, um, dismissed a, a Labour Prime Minister, a radical Labour Prime Minister, and there was a lot of speculation about what role the palace had played in that. When the papers were eventually released, the role of the palace was less sinister than I think a lot of people had uh, thought was could, could have been going on. So in a way, official secrecy from the point of view of the palace becomes counterproductive um, because people imagine uh, that, that uh, actually far more democratic anti-democratic actions might be taking place. So my big point is that we actually need to know what the role of the palace has been over the last 70 years on the basis of proper documentation. And then we'll be more able, I suppose, to answer the question about how compatible uh, the UK's form of constitutional monarchy is with modern democracy. I'm going to come at this question slightly differently, which is to say that currently the threats to democracy, whether in Britain or in India, are not actually coming from institutions like a monarchy. Uh, the, the tremendous threat to democracy is coming from you know, the, the class that I've referred to before, the billionaire class, the, the plutocracies. Uh, we have rising authoritarianism uh, in, in many contexts. And these this kind of authoritarianism is rarely coming from an institution like the monarchy. In fact, I would have I would have wished that as the Tory government whittles away at British democracy, you know, through the public order bill, through the proroguing of parliament, that that monarchy might have exercised a staying hand of some kind, and but you know of course constitutionally uh, and as Philip says there this there is secrecy around this exactly you know what was said and 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 to whom we, we won't know. But to me that the great danger from democracy to democracy is not coming from institutions like the monarchy. It's coming from uh, vested economic interests and and rising um, ethno nationalism, racism, communalism, um, and currently my anxiety around democracy. Is, is really around those forces rather than the monarchy per se. And 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 indeed, you know, the, 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 the far bigger problem is that the UK in, in the modern era has never had to sit down and write a constitution and actually have a proper grown-up debate about the balance of rights and powers within within the system of government. Um, and and the as we've seen recently through the, the crisis around the prorogation of parliament. The UK Prime Minister effectively has very extensive prerogative powers using the powers of the Crown um, in ways that could be absolutely authoritarian under under uh, you know certain forms of, of leadership, um, and so you know there, there have been quite significant warning bells recently about about the, the the broader dangers of that never mind the the role of individual members of the royal family or, or the palace thank you both for joining us 
Lovely talking to you. All right, and you. 